What does neuroscience and research say about spanking? Now that is a very interesting topic. Welcome to episode 7 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. Very topical to me because in my country, Scotland, they are in the process of making spanking illegal. Parents will not be allowed to spank their children under the law. And at the moment, I'm not broadcasting from Scotland, I'm in India. So this is an interview out of the archives that I did of Robin Peters-Bennett from StopSpanking.org a few years ago for the YouTube channel, The Progressive Parent. I just had a listen back to it and I thought it was really excellent. So I hope you enjoy this Be Yourself and Love It podcast. We are supremely lucky to have Robin Peters-Bennett on the line of www.stopspanking.org. Hi Robin, how are you? Hi Anthony, I'm great. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us. Now Robin, you're an expert on the field of childhood trauma. Could you tell us a little more about your background? Well Anthony, uh, I am a child counsellor and my specialty is in the area of early stress and the effects of early abuse and neglect on um, children's mental well-being. And I'm also um, very interested in prevention of early abuse. And so I have been actively involved in uh, the Alliance to to End the Hitting of Children. That's a U.S. organization that is seeking to end the hitting of all children. And I also blog on StopSpanking.org, and you can find me on Facebook. Yes, and your website does have a lot of resources to help people make a transition from spanking to peaceful, non-violent methods of raising their children. Now, throughout your research, you've become quite familiar with the neurological effects and the neuroscience of what spanking does in the body and brain to a child. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, sure. You know, we know uh, from research that that there's 93% agreement in the social science research that spanking is linked to negative outcomes like behavioral problems, increased aggression, mental health problems, alcoholism, substance abuse. Uh, Recently, we've even found that it's connected to physical ailments. And so it makes you wonder, you know, How is it that it's physiologically affecting um, our health? And so uh, really this correlates to a monumental body of research called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Uh, It was uh, performed by the CDC and Kaiser Health Plan. Over 17,000 people, middle-class Americans, were involved over 15 years. And they found that early stress is linked to very serious health outcomes into adulthood, including mental illness, depression, uh, anger problems, domestic violence, but also cardiac disease and diabetes and obesity and asthma. And so what the ACE study uh, was able to understand is that early uh, adverse childhood experiences are the leading cause of illness, death, and poor quality of life in the United States. And so this body of research has helped us understand that there are neurological consequences because of the way the brain develops in the first five years of life that are lasting. And the spanking research has really the very same 
outcomes. And so we're beginning to understand that spanking itself is a form of family dysfunction. Right, indeed. And those are a lot of really serious and good reasons for people to swear off using spanking as a method of discipline. Are children who are hit more likely to be violent? Yes, they are definitely more likely to be violent. That is one of the most consistent and prevailing uh, discoveries that research has um, been able to um, uncover over the last 15 years. Now, some people will, of course, say, well, you know, I was spanked and it didn't do me any harm. But it seems to me that even if that were true, one wouldn't want to take the risk. I mean, only one in three long-term heavy smokers get cancer. But that doesn't mean that anyone should say, well, you know, I smoked and I didn't get cancer. What other popular arguments are you exposed to in favor of using physical punishment and how would you respond to them? Well, I think that the, the most popular is that it seems to work in the moment. Um, you know, and I think a bad habit that almost works is hard to break. Uh, and I think hitting children and hitting other people in general is a very bad habit in the United States. In fact, when they did this adverse childhood experiences study and they looked at 10 uh, key physical or family dysfunction, sorts of types of family dysfunction in the home, physical abuse of children was the number one reported um, adverse experience. One in three Americans reported physical abuse as children. And so I think the, the popular argument is that it's just a smack. It's not a big deal. But really what we're beginning to understand is that it is on a continuum of, of violence that's very serious in our country. The other is that the negative outcomes are not easily seen in the immediate moment. But because of the way the brain develops in a cascading fashion, if you injure or stress the brain in the first five years, you are affecting the self-regulation equipment of the child. And that self-regulatory equipment is the foundation to ongoing development. And so um, Dr. Martin Teicher, he's a Harvard neuroscientist, he called this the time bomb effect, which is where these early injuries to the brain are not readily seen. But later on in adolescence, you'll see alterations. Um, and that's where you'll begin to see the negative behaviors that result from these early injuries. And the early injury is to the bond between the child and the parent. And it's usually an injury to the self-regulatory equipment, which is responsible for allowing us to uh, regulate feeling, to manage our physical arousal, uh, to cope with aggressive feelings without acting them out. It's very important early in life to not tamper with this system. So perhaps that's the reason why some of the research has shown that children who are spanked at home are more likely to act out in school. Yes, because it really creates a developmental delay and it also models aggressive behavior. So what you'll see is that children that are harshly treated as in the home, they have a harder time regulating themselves in a school environment where you have to sit still and follow directions and where there really isn't 
um, a lot of interaction between the child and the teacher because there's 25 children. And so there's not that one-on-one -on -one relationship that the child would need because the child, many of these children in kindergarten are more like age three developmentally because their self-regulatory system is not mature because there's been too much stress. Now, some people say that I'm behind you 99%, Robin. I think that in most situations that it's not the best option. But there, perhaps in a very extreme circumstance, a sharp, sharp shock um, will ensure that they never do it again, you know, if they've burnt the house or kicked the cat or who knows what. Um, what's the response to that? Well, my response is that you should never shock a child. Um, we don't even do that to animals, and it has to do with just really understanding that when you shock your child, you're activating the stress response. And you don't want to do that because it already activates spontaneously from normal stressors in the environment. So you never want to be a source of what we would call potentially toxic stress, which essentially is stress that the parent is not mitigating. So by definition, when you hit a child and you're the mother or the father, you are creating stress for them that is by definition not mitigated by the loving, supportive um, presence of, you know, the primary caregiver. Because you, as the parent, are the source of threat. It seems to me in addition to that, if the reason that we're spanking children is as a deterrent, well, there's lots of ways to deter a child from doing something. You could point a gun at them. But if the only thing that's motivating someone not to do something is that they've been hurt and they're really scared of being hurt again, we can't say that they've internalized any real values and understand why not to take a certain course of action because it's destructive or, or antisocial. It's not just behavior we should be concerned about, but the motivation behind behavior. Because if your child stops being destructive because they're really timid and scared, or they become really passive-aggressive instead of overtly aggressive, you haven't achieved much. And you might have actually just sort of bent the, the child's personality a bit, and maybe even out of shape, you've not addressed the root cause of the behavior. Yeah, it's like you have created a reason for the child to avoid you in one way or another. And I think that it's important to recognize that for a child to regulate, to feel like they can um, cope with the world, is you have to stay regulated as a parent because their brain is developing from your regulated brain. In fact, a child cannot self-regulate without a regulated parent. So if you're afraid that the child's going to yank the cord out of the socket or run into the street or you're frightened of a tantrum in public because you're afraid of being humiliated and judged, your anxiety is ramped up. You are now um, more aroused. Your self-regulation is more compromised. And what you do from that place is going to be less effective. So it's really important to be merciful to yourself as a parent and to think about, okay, what does make me uncomfortable? What does make me nervous? And what is the best way to respond? You know, I can keep my child safe. I'm just going to make sure the, the fence is locked. I'm going to watch the child when, when, when my baby's in the yard. And uh, I'm just going to move the child away from the sockets and that sort of thing. And with a tantrum, 
I'm just going to hang in and know that I'm a good enough parent and that people that judge me are just people that are anxious themselves. And we can't allow the anxiety of other people to, to dominate how we respond to our children's needs. Yes, I think it's um, important when the child is taking a tantrum to understand that they have an inner emotional environment that they might not know how to deal with themselves and take sort of preventative approaches by talking about healthy emotional expression and showing showing ways to even use the the words mommy i'm absolutely furious i can't even control myself at the moment um and also (laughs) also to debrief you know when you have a situation with your child that uh, was adverse speak about it later on Yeah, in fact, and don't worry that it's quite a bit later on. That's perfectly fine because you want to make sure that all of your brain and all of their brain is available to you. So you don't want to be upset when you're talking about it. On the subject of alternatives to spanking, in those moments where parents think that maybe that would be the best option to use as a deterrent, what other options could you suggest that they take instead because maybe we don't want parents to just scream at their kids or lock them in the room and isolate them or anything like that what are positive alternatives to spanking well you know it's interesting because i have parents coming to me all the time and um, i never ask them if they spank Um, they usually will tell me eventually anyway parents usually don't feel good about that Uh, but they're coming in for help and The most common theme that I see with parents is that they're too busy, they're too stressed out, they have too many things to do, and they're taxing the limits of their own children and themselves. But they're so used to taxing their own limits that they don't even realize they're exhausted, or if they do, it seems normal. But in in truth, little children do not thrive in environments that are full of things to do with exhausted parents. And it's very hard for mothers because often they feel pressed to do so many things. But ultimately, the intervention is to be with your child, to slow down, to self-regulate yourself, to be sure that you're doing what you need to feel calm, to get support from your friends, um, to reach out and read child development books. But essentially, you have to feel good. You have to feel regulated. And when you do you'll find that your child is less distressed. You'll be able to say, you know, I'm not going to the grocery store right now. It's too hard. We'll go later. Because everything won't feel like a top priority. And you'll have more flexibility. I think with children, you're really looking at how do you avoid the dysregulation of a tantrum, the flipping out and the freaking out. And that has to do with bringing the entire stress level of the whole family down several notches. And that's what I work with with parents Because a lot of parents are super smart. They know what to do. They just can't do it. And that's usually because they're too stressed out. And so my work is to help them come back into balance so that they can be with their children in a more relational, present way. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, You spoke a bit about trying to prevent child abuse earlier in our conversation. Um, Can you talk a bit about the length you've heard publicized between spanking and more severe forms of physical aggression towards children and the importance of that information? 
Well, that link in the it's interesting because the distinction between spanking and what you might call overt or criminal child abuse that distinction has been erased in the child abuse and um, child development literature. It's because it's really on a continuum of family dysfunction, and we know that five children die in the United States every day from child abuse, and half of those are from physical abuse at the hands of their own parents. And we know that most uh, criminal physical abuse begins with an attempt to physically punish the child. So the link between the two is very clear to people working in the field of abuse and neglect. Really, part of that problem is that when you strike a child, it activates your own hyperarousal, your own stress response. And when you activate your own stress response, it inhibits your ability to experience empathy. It inhibits your understanding how, of how big you are. You can't really gauge how the other person is feeling. And so you don't, you don't have the skills that you need to be able to properly parent and give guidance. So spanking is dangerous for the parent as well as the child. Right, of course. Um when I, say it's da- when I say it's dangerous for the parent, what I mean is that the parent now is compromised. They're no longer able to, uh, you know, engage with their, pa- their child in a way that is um, effective, it is compassionate. They've really flipped their lid. And as a result, even if you try to remain not angry, you are biologically activated when you strike another person. And so that sort of undermines another popular argument, which is it's terrible to strike a child when you're out of control, but if you wait till you're calm and show that you're doing it in a rational fashion, then that is somehow um, more informative or educational. Well, yeah, you know, that's that's not supported by science. Dr. Elizabeth Gershoff just published a paper about maternal warmth and it says that, you know, a lot of times we think, well, if we're kind and loving and we and it's clear that we love our children and we have a wonderful relationship, it won't be as destructive. But in fact, it show, the research shows that maternal warmth does not mitigate the negative outcomes associated with spanking. And that makes sense if you understand that for a child to regulate, to self-regulate, to be calm, to be capable... They have to use your brain to do that, and you have to be regulated. So if you're the source of threat, the child is thrown into a dysregulated state because they need you all the time to be a source of comfort and strength and support. And so it's clear that anytime you compromise that, that feeling with your child, you're putting your child in, an, in a state of arousal that is almost impossible for them to recover from. And so, of course, it would be important to never uh, hit your child or create any kind of ambiguity or confusion. Because when you hit your child and you create that ambiguity of sometimes mom's a threat and sometimes she's not, that actually activates the stress arousal because the child has to anticipate, when am I going to be hurt? And that's very taxing on a little child's developmental brain, in the development of their brain. You don't want them to be... uh, vigilant or hyper aroused or worried. So could you talk more about how bonding affects the child's capacity for self-regulation and how using 
a good strong bond between parent and child can be a realistic alternative to using physical punishment and a favorable one in the long term. But just to think about um, what is the most fundamentally important thing we can do to help our children's brains develop properly, and that is to ensure that there's a safe, secure, comforting bond. That is essential. And with that bond, the child is then able to to develop a self-regulatory system, and that's their capacity to manage feelings and aggressive impulses. It's also their ability to physically feel calm. You know, it's in charge of your respiration and your heart rate and your perspiration, your hunger and your sleep patterns. So if that bond is secure, that really supports that self-regulatory equipment. And once the child feels bonded to you and they have some self-regulation, then they can go out into school and into social situations and they can establish affiliation and they can be empathic and they can develop these more sophisticated social skills because they have that fundamental attachment to you and they have the regulatory equipment that supports them to be able to tolerate the stress of getting along with other people. How do you nurture a strong bond with your child? Well, you know, there's so many ways to do that. but And, and you know, there's so much great literature out there about this. But one of the things that I think about that I think in our country is a little bit neglected. Because, you know, I see parents doing a wonderful job cognitively and explaining and listening and talking to their child. But with little children, they tend to sway between being able to be verbal and not being able to be verbal. So from zero to five, it's very normal for verbal interventions for talking not to work. So verbal interventions with children work sometimes, and you'll probably notice this, that sometimes your toddler or your four-year-old is extremely verbal and capable, and you can have these wonderful conversations, and other times it's like you're talking to a brick wall. And so it's important to understand that this is really normal, and, and to be able to recognize when your child isn't really operating at a verbal level and to supplement that with physical touch with a lot of warmth with laughing with holding with comforting and to really pay attention to the body because in many ways children from zero to five regulate primarily through physiological comfort between the mother and the child through a lot of that what you'd call right-brained communication her facial expressions is mommy happy is she smiling you know that kind of thing and that a lot of that nonverbal mirroring is even more important particularly when the child is distressed so don't be afraid to hold and touch your child when they're freaking out when they're upset when they're angry even you know, don't be afraid to get down on eye level and on the floor with them and rub their back while they're talking to you and nod your head and really get physically in tune with the child. Um, that can be incredibly helpful uh, for regulating a child. Yes, it seems to me that um, if a child is already finding it difficult to verbalize their emotional needs and um communicate and connect with their parent then the last thing that's going to improve their ability to do that is using a physical form of discipline on them um, and regarding parents being afraid to maybe touch their children I know there used to be a sort of thought meme that went around that people worried that if they touch 
their children too much or they comfort them when they're angry, then either they're encouraging the behavior or the children will come to depend on them and become clingy and won't be able to become independent and hold their own. Is there any truth in that or is that the opposite of the truth? I think that the the neurological truth is that children self-regulate through co-regulation and that they naturally will become independent of you when that self-regulatory equipment is is fully developed. And so a parent shouldn't be afraid to touch and hold. And I wouldn't worry about the behavioral reinforcement of touching a child when they're in distress. But what I would emphasize is, you know, to be gentle, to be empathic, to be understanding, to touch to in a way that the child likes and responds to. And then when the child is back to baseline, when they're calm again, when they can relate, when they can put a smile on their face naturally, then you use a cognitive intervention and talk about what happened, what made you upset, what could we have done differently what could you have done differently? What could I have done differently? And you problem solve with the child. And that is what builds um, that capacity for them to regulate better in the future. So the two things to think about if you want to really develop a child's capacity for self-regulation is one is to be attuned to their frustration and be sensitive to their uh, their upset moments to help them return back to baseline. So don't allow a child just to scream and cry for long periods of time. Be sympathetic, be available. The other is to have a lot of positive, warm, affectionate interaction because that builds the that stimulates the neurotransmitters that help the child to their brain to grow. And that's easy to do if you're consistent and you don't create sort of an ambiguous experience where sometimes you're a threat. So just never be a threat to your child. And if you do yell and lose your cool, tell them later, I'm sorry, I had a hard time. I was overwhelmed, you know, and mend the relationship that way. And then you can move on. What fantastic advice that is. What we have there is not only helping the child regulate by gaining good self-regulation and modeling it yourself. I do imagine that soothing the child gives them the model for learning to self-soothe. It does. It gives them a psychological model, but it also builds a physiological model neurologically in the brain. I saw some of the research that you mentioned covered very much lately in the media. Here is from the Daily Mail, a mainstream newspaper in the UK, smacking children even occasionally can make them more aggressive and trigger bad behavior. In Psychology Today this month, research on spanking, it's bad for all kids, where they said, regardless of culture, hitting a child on the bottom with an open hand rather than reducing undesirable behavior as it's intended to is not working in the long term. And last month, CNN parents also put out an article saying spanking hurts kids in the long run too. Well, there's been quite a lot of research lately looking at just what we would consider, you know, spanking a child with an open hand on the bottom, Uh, little children, what our culture believes is normal spanking. And we're finding that there are negative outcomes associated with this as well. A recent study by McKenzie just came out where they were looking at the effects of spanking children at age three and five, and that by the time the child was nine, they were more aggressive, they had a harder time following the rules, 
and their uh, they had a lower score on what they call receptive vocabulary. And again, this is that time bomb effect or what they call in science, it has a cascading effect, which means that early injuries are not easily seen, but they show up later on. And it's very important, particularly with boys, to understand that little boys are often more transactional, meaning that they they externalize in reaction to spanking, meaning they get more aggressive, where little girls sometimes internalize. And so boys tend to get hit more often, and it tends to stimulate more spanking. So it's super important to understand that you should never hit little children. And, you know, and we sometimes think, well, boys are tough. But in reality, boys are more vulnerable to violence because they're more reactive in sort of a um, fight mode. And so they end up getting targeted, not just by their own parents, but by their peers and by people in school and other authorities because they tend to be more dysregulated, more aggressive, more reactive. And sadly, this is also linked, I believe, to higher instances of domestic abuse later in life. James Gilligan, who's a world-leading expert on violence and dealt with prisoners, who some of the most violent people in the world, found that a lot of the time they had internalized a sort of doctrine that as a man you have to be tough and, and show people who's boss. And that was one of the motivating factors in their extremely violent behavior. And I can only imagine that that was internalized in the home environment because these were people who'd invariably been through incredibly violent childhoods. Yes, yes. It's like, um, you know, an interesting study just came out that shows that when you feel powerful, it interferes with certain um, ability to feel empathy. Uh, and so, of course, it's important that we help children feel more safe within the relationship, within the power of connection, rather within the experience of dominance uh, and feeling like I'm bigger so I can get my way. And so when we use force, we are reinforcing a power structure uh, for the child and inhibiting empathy. And there are so many studies showing that children that are spanked have less moral internalization they are sneakier and more effective at getting getting away with things and not being caught because they're more preoccupied with doing so and that they have less empathy toward their peers and that they tend to be bullies and they tend to grow up to be bullies in their families as well. I'm going to put links to those three papers and all the links you covered as well in the description of this video if anyone wants to take a look. That would be wonderful. I think that where we have failed as a country and as in the world is to really provide education. In fact, I'm working on developing a documentary. We've um, you know, already filmed some of the footage. And the idea of the documentary is to share the science to help people understand the link between spanking and more uh, serious uh, child abuse, and also to understand that there's a better way. We're going to be filming a woman who works in Harlem with parents, showing them how to give up spanking in lieu of just better, uh, better interventions. She says, raise our skills, not our hands. So any help that we can have in raising funding for this project would be so appreciated. Robin, I'm so glad you mentioned your documentary because I was wanting to go on to it before we wrapped up the conversation 
I think what you're trying to do here is absolutely fantastic. And I'd like to encourage anyone listening to go to www.stopspiking.org and reach into their wallet a little bit and help this documentary be made because by changing the way that parents raise their children we can really change the whole world here early years are formative they form a personality you don't have to be an expert in psychology to know if Lloyd DeMoss who runs the Journal of Psychohistory be believed he wrote a book called the origins of war and child abuse and he believes that peaceful parenting could be a route to the abolition of war if people don't wholeheartedly accept that hypothesis we can at least hopefully agree based on the evidence that we can have a much more psychologically healthy society yeah, you know, you have to wonder why hitting children is something we do. It must have been adaptive at an earlier time when there was more danger under extreme warfare. But the question is, do we want to wire our children for war or do we want to wire them for peace and for um, greater tolerance? And if a child is wired for war, they won't recognize the safety of a benign environment because they will be hypersensitive to threat even when there is no threat there. And I think the beginning of this is to give our chance, our children a chance when they're very early on uh, to really feel safe and secure. Robin, I want to thank you for your time and speaking to us this morning. Thank you for the fantastic work that you've been doing. I'd just like to point people at www.stopspiking.org again and you can find the link in the description to this video. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Anthony, for supporting this work of mine and being a voice out there for children. And um, this can be very hard work and very lonely work. And uh, it's just so good to know you're out there fighting the good fight out there with me. That means a lot to me. Um, I hope that we can move together towards a more peaceful world for children and adults and lots of happy families. I really believe that we can. I really believe that. Thank you. I hope you found that as inspiring as I did. If you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to share your favorite episodes with people you think that they're relevant to. I would really love to grow this show. And the more views I get, the more interesting experts that I can have to help you get what you want out of your life. If you want to contact me, you can get me at anthony at beyourselfandloveit.com if you've got any suggestions of guests or you would like to speak to me about some coaching to help you achieve what you want out of your life. Until next week, be yourself. Well, don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it.